and welcome to the Bleacher Connection with your host, Ken and Trevor, your source for sports and all things in between. As always, you can find us on social media. On Twitter, Trevor is at the BleacherCon1. I am at the BleacherCon2. We have our Facebook page, the Bleacher Connection Podcast, and our webpage where you can find all of our episodes, thebleacherconnection.podbean.com. Before we get going into things, just want to say we are doing this on uh, on Sunday as usual, which is Father's Day. So, Trevor, happy Father's Day. Hey, thanks, Ken. Uh, you know, big day to spend with the family, but, you know, some things are more important and that would be recording the, the podcast with you, I guess. Uh, no, but all kidding aside, it's it's a wonderful day. I want to say happy Father's Day to my dad as well. Uh, Ken, I know your dad has passed, but, you know, he was a wonderful man. And uh, like you mentioned, I just saw it on your Facebook. He's looking down and with you guys all the time. So, you know, my, again, my condolences to your family, but, you know, happy Father's Day to your dad as well, who was a, a, a tremendous human being. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. It's for myself and, you know, your your dad's a, a great man. And uh, for myself, today is a, today's a tough day. I'm not going to lie. It uh, There's certain days throughout the year that are a little tougher than others. But I, I know that uh, he, he's he's with us. And I, I just I like to spend the day thinking of all the the good times I shared with them all the time out on the lake and uh, kind of getting me into sports. And and this is where, you know, part of his leading me down that path of love of my, for my love of sports that we're now doing this too. So yeah, I know, uh, I know he would really enjoy this. So what we're doing here. So. Yeah. Probably my favorite memory of, of your father is him collecting us from downtown Vancouver and right after the Calgary Stampeders won the Grey Cup and I maybe had celebrated a little too hard. And it was, <laughs> it was about that time to go. And, and, you know, I was very happy that your dad decided he should probably come and pick us up because <laughs> that night could have ended quite differently. <laughs> yeah. It was probably a good idea that, uh, that we got, a, that he gave us that ride. So, yeah. <laughs> well, on today's episode, we're going to, uh, it's been a rocky road for the Blue Jays the last, I guess, say about two weeks. So we're, we're definitely going to talk about the Blue Jays. And uh, we're going to talk about sticky substances as well and, and uh, what you are and aren't allowed to potentially put on baseballs and some of the comments coming from pitchers, Tyler Glasnow. Uh, we had the Jack Adams Award given away this week in the NHL. It's, it's NHL award season, so we kind of want to give our take on that. And it's the conference finals going on, so we're going to kind of dive into the shocking Montreal Canadiens and Las Vegas Golden Knights and the uh, Isles and Lightning. Uh, to get going here, Ken, and, and I think we're kind of taking a page from the Blue Jays book this week with uh, the episode. Uh, we haven't put in a lot of uh, preparation, but hey, we're just going to try and have some fun this week, I guess. So that's going to lead us perfectly into what Charlie Montoyo recently said in regards to some Blue Jays efforts of recent where, let's just be, call a spade a spade, They've been playing some really shitty baseball and doing some really shitty things. Bullpen, base running, turning a ground ball into short, into a triple play against, getting picked off at third. Like, and Montoya goes, eh, at least we're having fun. Like, yeah, based on. I, some I know of the- this isn't, are you kidding me? But are you kidding me? Like, come on. Yeah. Come on, this guy, I can't handle this. It, it, that that has got to be about the worst statement from a manager ever, and I hate to break it to him. He's he can't read this bench because that same game he was talking about, they're having fun out there. 
yeah, Vladdy didn't look like he was having all that good of a time. He did not look impressed. And, you know, I I joked that his uh, hype song before a game was the Black Eyed Peas. Um, I got a feeling. Well, I think he also pumps out Cindy Lauper's Girls Just Want to Have Fun, but changes it to Ball Players Just Want to Have Fun uh, as he <laughs> sings it in his office. I mean, come on, man. Like, yeah, the idea of it's a game. You're supposed to enjoy it. You're supposed to have fun. But you are professionals. This isn't little league. We're not talking about coaching children. You're coaching professional athletes who go out, should go out, expect to win every game, whether they do or not. There is a certain level of compete that you expect from a professional athlete and to hear their leader, the, the man in charge say, Hey, we're just having fun and that's what counts. No, it doesn't, right? This is that perpetual mediocrity that comes from being a Blue Jays fan. And a Calgary Flames fan. Yeah, and Canucks fan. You know, like that you just get tired of. But I mean, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen a franchise be okay with just having fun and being having a successful season being, hey, we're two games over 500. No, like... I'm sorry, but your bullpen is horrible. They've cost so many games up, up, decent leads, and you've blown them. Close games, the bullpen has blown it. Down by one, they make it a blowout for the other team. Like, that is not fun. You cannot tell me that you are seriously sitting there saying that the players are having fun. Last time I checked, winning is the most fun in baseball. So they'd be having yeah. a hell of a lot more fun if they were winning. So to go to say, oh, you know, it's a good time. Everybody's enjoying themselves. The locker room's great. Yeah, well, it would be a lot better if you were winning more often. The Blue Jays lead the majors with 10 games lost that they've been leading after the seventh inning. Imagine even if they just had five more of those as win. There is wins. They are right there in the wild card race and by no means am i saying they're out of the wild card race but they're out of the wild card race if this keeps up it's there's no quick fixes here you got some guys coming back from injury but the guys that the jays have in their bullpen are oft injured players they're getting exactly what they got last year they got beat up too i see they acquired a a no-name pitcher yesterday or the day before who has pitched to a 6.42 ERA. So he'll fit right in on this staff. Yeah, he'll be able to bump that up. The, the shocking thing for me is the starting pitching was the bigger concern heading into the season. It's actually been pretty good. It and has. you've got a you've got MVP caliber baseball out of Vlad. You you've gotten tremendous hitting out of Marcus Simeon that we didn't know what to expect. And it's all being wasted. And that is infuriating i i said it to a buddy on twitter the other night and i'm just like the blue jays are infuriating and here's my best summary of how to describe the toronto blue jays innings one through six world series contenders innings seven through nine bottom feeder they blow so many games and the the montoyo he actually showed some passion in a in 
uh, press conference about, I was going to say about four or five days ago, where he was actually, he was swearing and like every effing day I come in here and hear the same effing BS. And it's like, you know what? That's the manager I want. The guy who's into it and like tired of it and disappointed and frustrated. Well, damn right. You should be frustrated. But then to come out two days later or whatever, oh, we're having fun. Ah, this well, team the- is, it, it's driving me batty. That's the thing, though. He can get upset about it, but here's here's my comment back to him on that. If you're tired of hearing it, do something about it. You're the manager. And I'm sorry, but I don't see a shelf life of Charlie Montoyo lasting very much longer. And to that point, though, as well, I know they got extensions, but uh, Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro, you are the guys in charge of building this team and giving your manager, whoever it is, the proper pieces to win. When you see a hole, you go out and you fix it. You have a hole in your bullpen. You have a hole behind the plate. Fill it. I'm sorry, we're on our, what, fourth, fifth catcher this year already? And if you combine their batting averages, it might be 200? Like, can we just stop with the media mediocrity of and being okay? If they're not working, you got to move on from them at times. the The right side of the infield at the All Star Game could be Blue Jays because we are getting such good production out of Vladdy and Simeon that they're they're leading the votes in those positions. Vladdy's leading the majors in votes. He's leading the majors in in home runs use that but they gotta fix things i mean like our outfield was supposed to be stacked with gritchick on the bench maybe dh'ing getting occasional playing time and he's having a good year but then we were like i looked at the lineup the other night and went who the hell is this guy playing left field right and and you got to stop making trades for okay i don't even know who that guy was on our roster we just traded for who the hell is this guy right we we apparently have these prospects if Nate Pearson isn't going to work out, but he still has that, that shine of a top prospect in baseball, we'll trade him for someone who will work out. Right. You know, you mentioned about the base running and that, and that, uh, that triple play that they pulled on a ball in the infield. Like I I was uh, talking to a guy on Twitter, Leaf Roland, who said errors should count for base running. I absolutely agree with him. It's part of the game. It doesn't matter if the error is on the defense or offensive side of the ball. An error is an error. If you don't know how to run the bases, that's an error. There's no way in hell that a ball hit to short should end up on a triple play when you got to throw it to first base first and you still get both guys out at third. (laughs) It was was mind-boggling. At that point in time, and that was early in the game, Montoyo should have just thrown the white towel on the field, collected his guys and said, we're done. You get the W now because that is a joke. Two nights, two games in a row, second and third, nobody out. They didn't score a run. And one of them was in the bottom of the ninth, unfortunately against Chapman. Winning teams find ways to win games. Bad teams uh, find ways to lose games. And I think we know which side of the ledge of the Blue Jays are on. The we were playing the Yankees, same situation, second and third, nobody out. 
What do the Yankees do? They hit a sack fly to right field and score the run. And to me, it was just so indicative of what is wrong with the Blue Jays still. It, you have to claw, scratch and claw those hard runs in those situations. Second and third, nobody out. And two days in a row, you don't score. That is just so indicative of where this team is at. And throwing away victories, throwing away opportunities, it's exhausting. It really, really is. I love my Toronto Blue Jays. I'm almost at the end of my rope and we're only what 60 ish games in 78. Like this is, this is painful. Yeah. They don't, I'm a Jays fan too. Like they're my team, but when you talked about the, the runners on second, third, none out, not scoring that's blue Jays baseball, man. None of that surprises me. I am more surprised that the other night they're, they're down seven, four or whatever it was. And they scored six runs in the ninth to take the lead and win the game on the road. Yeah, but that was that against it, Baltimore. That was almost back to back brutal losses against a team that had lost eight in a row and is a bottom feeder. And you got crushed in the first game. And then you almost got crushed in the second game. That, that just tells you where this team is at. I, I was just going to say like the fact that I find that surprising that they were able to do that against the Orioles who are a horrendous team with a horrendous record tells you where this team is at, right? Like realistically they are, they're better than the Orioles, but how, by how I much, hope so. but by how much though, really, right? The Orioles might get blown out of games, but at least they know where they are. The Blue Jays are trying to be something they're not at times. And that's a winning ball club. But there's glimpses of it. Like the Jays have played the Red Sox seven times this year. The Jays should be seven and oh against the Red Sox this year. But no, but they, they we're jayed four it. and three. We jazed it. We're four and three. We've played the Yankees really tough this year, and we have a 500 record against them. We've played Tampa Bay really tough this year. And of course, we can't win an extra innings against them because I said it earlier, good teams find ways to win those games and bad teams lose them. Well, I think we've had three extra inning games against the Rays this year, lost them all. So we could easily have an over 500 record against the Rays. It, the Blue Jays just don't have that killer mentality. They haven't hardly ever for a, a long time. 2015, they did, I guess. Other than that, they've never had it. And it's I just don't know. I don't know how this changes. You've got some of the best players in baseball on this team. You got Vlad, Bo Bichette looks awesome. George Springer's coming into the lineup. Oscar's having a hell of a year when he's in the lineup. You, Ross Stripling's pitching dynamite recently. Ron Ray is pitching dynamite. Mads has pitched. He's got eight wins or something this year. Like You're getting more than you should out of some of these guys, and you're still in fourth place alec manoa is looking like he's the real deal so far real real early i'm not saying he is but he's looking like it take last night out of the equation but you know i think the only way you fix it is you make drastic changes and in baseball that's not taking a roster piece and making a trade for some someone that will fill the need you got to make that move with your prospects so do it yeah your lineup is set like Guriel Jr. You got Springer for five and a half more years because who knows when the hell he's going to play. You've got uh, T. Oscar. You've got Gritchick for a few more years. You've got all the young guys there. 
go get a catcher, go get a bullpen and figure it out. They got the pieces, but the two biggest things that are holding them back is a lack of a ability to put a bat on a ball by a catcher and a bullpen that, that can't even hold a lead, let yeah. alone save a game. Well, Blue Jays fans, do you agree with our takes? We'd love to hear from you on Twitter at the BleacherCon1 and at the BleacherCon2. Uh, moving on, we're going to stay with a baseball theme. And, and Ken really wanted to talk about uh, Tyler Glass now and, and his take on the ban on sticky substances uh, being put on baseball balls by pitchers. And Ken, why don't you take off on this? I was going to collect myself for a second here because it might get, uh, we'll see. I get heated. <laughs> Tyler Glasnow's on the uh, injured list right now, and he's going to be there for quite some time. Maybe I think it sounds like could be back for the playoffs potentially. Uh, forearm injury. Ah, so another uh, Tampa team taking advantage of uh, just <laughs> in time for playoffs. Yeah, yeah. Well, to be fair, baseball doesn't have a salary cap. So, oh, right, and, right. And let's be honest, the Tampa Bay Rays do not spend anywhere near. <laughs> a salary cap limit. So, I mean, when your entire roster is outdone by two players on the Dodgers in a World Series, you're not worried about saving money uh, by putting a guy on the injured list. No, he got hurt, and, and it's unfortunate. You don't like to see players get hurt. You don't want to see it. It's not good for the game to have your top players sitting on the IL for however long. But my problem with Tyler Glasnow complaining about why he got hurt was because he was essentially I'm going to paraphrase. I watched a four minute video on him saying he got hurt because he was no longer allowed to cheat because major league baseball was cracking down on pitchers using sticky substances to get better grip. He said he only used it for grip. He doesn't use it like some to get extra spin rate or speed on the ball, but because major league baseball keeps changing Bullshit. the t- yeah, the, the, the texture of the baseball and makes it more, you know, slippery and really hard to hold on to. He had to use a, a sunscreen and rosin mixture just so that he could hang on to the ball and it didn't fall out of his hand. Come on, man. You're, you're saying you got hurt because you weren't allowed to cheat anymore because you had to stop cold turkey and the way you had to hold the ball. Come on. Like. One of my biggest things about this is you're, you're complaining about not being allowed to cheat anymore. Well, I hate to break it to you, Tyler and every other pitcher that out there that uses the sticky stuff. You weren't supposed to in the first place. Like there, it's never been, there's always been a crackdown on pitchers using foreign substances throughout baseball because it's cheating. It's no different than using a trash can to get signals to a batter. It's no different than corking your bat. It's, it's no different than any of that. And, and they asked Garrett Cole a question about the sticky substance. And he said, well, I don't know how to really answer that without being suspended. Oh, man, he tap danced around that question. Like, like the most awkward way. It was like he was using, obviously he uses the spider tack because he was like, I don't know how to answer that. Well, how, what you're t- no, I don't, well, maybe, well, I don't know. What, I what is, like, what's going on? What, what did you tell me the other night? He hit over a hundred in the eighth, seventh inning or whatever it was. His 103rd pitch, he threw 103 miles per hour. Yeah. Uh, sorry, but 
that has to be because you're using sticky substance and you can get a grip like that. Your arm should be dead after hundred or getting dead after 103 pitches. So my first part of this is it really kind of pissed me off that the, a pitcher is saying I got hurt because I wasn't allowed to cheat anymore. And baseball's changing it halfway through the season. no, no, you guys are making it more and more obvious that you're cheating and baseball had to step in because let's be honest, baseball turned a blind eye to steroids. Baseball's turned a blind eye to the sticky substance for long enough. And, but now you guys are just making it so damn obvious. They have to, and should have done it a long time ago. The other part of this, if, if the balls were so slippery, a throw from short third would fly into the bleachers every single time if a player couldn't grip a baseball properly. So bull on you being able to not hold the ball properly. Second of all, my biggest problem with this is pitchers are the biggest hypocrites in the game. Stick to the unwritten rules. Don't show up a pitcher when you hit a home run. Don't do this. Don't do that. Oh, you want to show me up? I'm going to hit you when you come up next time. Yet, a pitcher can dance off the, the mound every time they strike someone out. They can show all the emotion they want in the world, but if you're not a pitcher, piss off. You're not allowed. And I what got no problem with that. No, no cartwheels and backflips from the mound to the backstop? You don't like that? No, I have no problem with the emotion. But my problem is, it's only okay for a pitcher, but if a batter does it, ho oh, ho. I'm going to drill you at the head with a 95 mile per hour fastball next time you come up or the benches are going to clear, like get over it. The emotion in the game is good, but it just seems that what's okay for a pitcher is not okay for the rest of the league. So if you want to use sticky substances, Tyler Glasnow, Garrett Cole, whoever else, allegedly Garrett Cole, um, then fine, go ahead. But Vladdy, Judge, Stanton, uh, Trout, all you other big hitters, you go right ahead and cork your bat. Let's see some 900-foot home runs. If you're going to complain about that you're not allowed to cheat anymore and Major League Baseball should be allowing it, then batters should be going up with cork bats. Why not? Just throw it all to the wind and say, screw it. Let's just cheat, guys. Like, come on. Well, I wonder how many pitchers were uh, pissed off at George Brett because he had the uh, sticky pine tar too high up his back. I'm sure they were all bitching and complaining about his bat. And now all of a sudden it's like, oh, tables have turned here. And now yeah, you're he got- not allowed to use it. It, it. I'm with you. The pitchers are kind of the prima donnas of the league. And don't get me wrong. I watching a, a dynamite pitching duel is awesome. Like you get some of the best in the game going at it in a, a two, one game where you have to scratch and claw. I love it. Pitching is baseball, but they shouldn't be allowed to cheat. And no. there, there's a little bit of validity to what Glasnow is saying, whereas right in the middle of the season, he has to change the way he holds the ball because there is actual truth to the fact that he has to grip it tighter. He has to put more strain on his forearm to throw the ball, which probably did lead to the injury. I'll give that validity. But – why does Major League Baseball always wait until it's too late to do the crackdown? Why are they doing a crackdown in the middle of the season? This should have been done in the offseason. So the pitchers and whoever could adjust to these potential new, not even rules, this please don't cheat, but at least do it in the offseason. Or tell them we are doing it at the end of this season. 
so that there's kind of a, a transition period because there is validity to these guys getting hurt. But in no way am I condoning the cheating here, but I think going cold turkey is going to lead to some injuries. And I think that's potentially a worse scenario. But the fact that it is even at this point is ridiculous. Well, Major League I, Baseball let steroids go on until it like started to negatively impact the game. And then like, no, no, no. You know, they let the Houston Astros well-knowingly cheat until it affected the game and World Series. No, 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 no. Well, here's the no, third no, no, go-around. No. Yeah, not even a, oh, bad you. Here's the third go-around. It's like the, the pitchers are getting excessive spin rates on the ball, and they're going, wow, this is leading to a lot of extra strikeouts. No, 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 no. Like, Major League Baseball's at fault here, not the pitchers this is ridiculous i i i agree somewhat but i also disagree because in all three cases steroids the trastros and the pitchers here with the sticky substances it major league baseball had to step in at inopportune times because they stopped caring and made it obvious to as to what they were doing how many times this year think like think about this year to last year even right how many times this year have we seen games and pitchers checked? Games stopped, timeout called, and pitchers checked for a spot on their glove, a spot on their hat, always going to their belt, right? Yes, I agree that Tyler Glasnow got hurt because midseason he had to change grip, all that. Yeah, I don't dispute that part. I also have somewhat zero sympathy for him because he had to do it because he was cheating because that's never really been allowed. If the guys didn't get the size of bodybuilders on the, you know, at the, at a competition and make it so damn obvious that you went from a toothpick to a bodybuilder in three seasons as a batter with steroids and you almost amplified the trash can in, in Houston. So everyone could hear it. And now you get the obvious spots on gloves, spots on hats. They stopped trying to hide it. And baseball had to step in. So, yes, baseball should have done something about this long ago. They should have been turning a blind eye to all the cheating in baseball that has gone on. Right? But, but this is what it is. The players got cocky. The players got, what are you going to do? I'm your bread and butter. Fair enough. A 10-game suspension with pay, and they're like, all right, a holiday. Yeah, 10-game yeah. suspension. Oh, they're still going to lose it. They go shoot three commercials and make more than that. So who cares, right? It's on the players. I, I don't feel bad for them having to change midseason. When was the last time? And I'm not saying batters don't cheat, right? Like you talk about stealing signs. That's part of the game. If you're a catcher or a third-base coach and you can't get your – your stuff together to hide your signals or figure it out. Well, then of course the team's going to pick up on it, but that's part of it. Everyone has that same advantage of watching for a sign that's on you to figure it out. But when was the last time you saw someone with a cork bat? Yeah. Albert Bell. I think he was, he was challenged for it years and years ago. And the best picture came out of it after they saw it as bad off and saw it was clean. He just stood in the dugout and, you know, flexed his muscle and pointed at his bicep because he had just <laughs> drilled one 500 feet. 
right? But you don't see the cheating from the hitters as much anymore, right? And thus they've just got really good at hiding it. But here's the part where a pitcher getting an extra three, five miles per hour on a fastball or other pitches becomes dangerous. How many times have you seen guys get hit in the head, hit in the face? Kevin Plar took one in the face, like off his nose not too long ago. Looked like he was in a boxing match rather than a baseball game. It becomes dangerous. If they, you know, you got sticky stuff and maybe it doesn't come off right. And now you're firing a pitch at a guy's dome. There's, there's no need to do it. These guys are elite athletes. They're for a reason. It also sends a bad message to all these kids playing yes. little league and college that, man, I, I, you know, I'm really good. And I, I have a dream of playing in the bigs, but unless I inject steroids into my ass or you learn how to pitch with sticky stuff on my fingers, I'm never going to go anywhere. Yeah. Like, what are you, what are you sending? Play it now before, before we move on from this topic, there, there's one clip out there that is absolutely phenomenal. And if you haven't heard it, I highly suggest you Google it and, and listen to it. And I'm referring to the clip about Pedro Martinez discussing uh, the, the sticky substances on balls. And, and if you ever wanted to know, you know, how Pedro Martinez liked to have his balls rubbed, then I highly suggest you listen to this video because it is gold, absolute gold. So it might be a little uh, R-rated, not by uh, not by. That wasn't the intent of it, but I will warn you guys: it is R-rated, and Pedro Martinez loves to have his balls rubbed down. Yeah, I don't know how the guys on the panel made it through that without just dying as he was talking about it. Oh, that was that was too good. Well, Ken, we've had the Jack Adams Award given away in the NHL this past week, and I. I think they more or less had it right. Uh, Rod Brindamore of the Carolina Hurricanes did end up winning the award. He got 61 first place votes. The next closest had, I believe, 24. Brindamore, Dean Evison of the Minnesota Wild, Joel Quenville of the Florida Panthers. I'd have to agree those are probably the three that should have been in the top. Ken, was the right winner chosen? Oh, I absolutely believe so. I mean, uh, we, we could go back and pop in the clip of where I said the Carolina Hurricanes are going to be a team to uh, be reckoned with this year and people were going to overlook them. They, they were right there in the President's Trophy race. They came down to the end of the season, I think, when they maybe took a breather at the end uh, to rest some guys that cost them that, that trophy. But no, I, I am 100% on board with uh, Rod Brindamore winning this award and, and by the, the – the points that he did it was 433 for Brindamore 235 for Evison and 225 for Quinville three great coaches who did really I mean amazing things with their teams that I don't think a lot of people expected outside of myself in Carolina um, but no I, I agree with it I have no problem with the voting there so when you get down the list that I start finding things where I'm going are you kidding me really what is this? I mean, what was your take on the on the final voting? I personally didn't think Brendan Moore should have won. I thought one of Dean Evison or Joel Quenville probably should have won. I think they did more with less, uh, especially when I look at Minnesota. They played in a division with uh, St. Louis, 
uh, Vegas and Colorado and actually finished ahead of St. Louis. They came out of nowhere. Like that team was 20 games over 500. They were a non-playoff team essentially last year, a 500 club. To me, I probably would have given it to Dean Evison with Joel Quenville closely behind. I just, they did more with less. The, the Florida Panthers were kind of the feel-good story of the entire year. They, uh, until they got Sam Bennett, and then I could care less about them. But <laughs> I just think they, they, they were more unexpected to where they finished as to where Carolina was. And I'm not trying to take away from the fact of Brenda Moore not being a good coach. Brenda Moore's a phenomenal coach. And it's a travesty that he re-signed in Carolina for only $1.5 million a year. He could have made double, triple that in other markets. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a whole other show, a whole other conversation. Like That's 900 grand more than he was getting paid though. Yeah. Shame on the Carolina Hurricanes and uh, what's done this or whatever. Like that's, that's not right. But Everson, Quenville, Brindamore, that's the right top three. You just alluded to it a little bit further down this list. There's, um, huh? what's going on? Barry Trotz only getting one third place vote is a travesty in my opinion. He got one point. Nash, or the Islanders were one of the best teams in the toughest division, and he got one. One point. Dave Tippett in Edmonton got three. Like, sure, he did some good stuff, but uh, you had McDavid on your team. So did you really do much coaching? Yeah. Um, David Quinn of the New York Rangers. Uh, last time I checked, he got fired. And before he got the season four ended. Before, before the season this... ended. He got three points. Um, second place vote. He got, sorry, he got a move second on from, place vote. Before we move on from him, this is a New York Rangers team that severely underachieved right? How you could even vote for a guy who got fired or vote for a coach who didn't get fired, but had that kind of season, you should have your voting rights taken away. I joked with you that we got to stop letting Brooksy vote uh, because clearly it was a a Ranger media person that did. That's horrendous. Like Jeremy Colleton of Chicago also got a third place vote. He tied Barry Trotz. You know what? That guy guy who got fired had more. The, the Chicago and I, we joked early on in the season about whether they might even win 10 games. So they were actually turned out to be a pretty good story. So I, I guess I can at least give that vote a little bit of credit, but yeah. Yeah. it's a stretch. Yeah. John Cooper only got four points. And again, you got the, one of the best teams in the league and, and Cooper's a good coach. That team, you know, they, they played without Kucherov and Stamkos for large chunks of the season yeah, and, but, and were still powerhouses, but I, I'm not I, saying he should have gotten a whole lot more, but I'm surprised he only got four points. I'm not. I'm not. And I we, I talk, kind of talked a little off air about this. John Cooper and, like, say, Pete DeBoer, or, those guys, you could put a broomstick behind the bench and call it a head coach, and those teams are going to win. Right, even without Kucherov and Stamkos for portions of the year, that team is still stacked. The league did enough to help them out. I shouldn't say the league, but there was enough things done that for the Tampa Bay Lightning that they they should have lost some high end talent in the off season, and they didn't have to. The essentially they brought players in 
when they should have had players on the way out based on the salary cap and how it works. So yeah, John Cooper, Pete DeBorrow, they're going to be on the list, but I don't have a problem with where they finished because those teams should win with regardless of who's behind the bench. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that point. I'm just surprised because I know quite often the teams with the best records get the coaches get the votes. So I was surprised that Cooper only got four votes. But at the end of the day, the, the top three guys that should have been there were there. What order they finished in, I think, is not so much to the winner. It's kind of irrelevant. The three guys that should have been at the top were there. Yeah. I And like I said, I think it should have been Evison or Gwenville first, but – I can't really argue either way that it shouldn't have been Brindamore. So I, to me, it, it's, it's really, it's not a huge problem. And, and, and even if Brindamore didn't win, I don't think, like, as you just said, there isn't a wrong answer in any of those three. If yeah. they won, you could be like, absolutely. That makes a hundred percent. That makes sense. That's the right answer. Well, let's transition into some uh, con- NHL conference final talks and a team that actually fired their coach mid-season and, and took some flack for it even early in the season and took some mighty flack for both you and I heading into the season are somehow in the conference finals. And we're talking about the Montreal Canadiens uh, taking on the Vegas Golden Knights. And then we have the New York Islanders taking on the Tampa Bay Lightning in the other series. What is going on in Montreal, Ken? I'm... I don't, I don't even know how to talk about this. I, this is just dumb luck. In my opinion, this team is shouldn't have got through Toronto did steamrolled Winnipeg somehow. Like I don't, and now are putting up way more of a fight against Vegas than I think anybody thought they would. How is this happening? I, I have no idea. I mean, part of it is like us. Uh, well, maybe not Toronto because Toronto just did Toronto things and blew a 3-1 lead, and that's par for the course in the playoffs. That's playoff hockey for Toronto. But I think that, like we did, teams are not taking the Montreal Canadiens seriously. And they're, they're not just in the conference final. They are up two games to one on the Golden Knights going into play tonight. So we don't know how it's going to, by the time this airs, they could be up three games to one. And they're going with Robin Lehner tonight, not Marc-Andre Fleury. Cool. That's a bit of a surprise, honestly. But I mean, I, I don't know that, I mean, yeah, you can put last game on, on Marc-Andre Fleury, but that's one of the playoff games this that you can put on him. The game that they lost against uh, Colorado, he wasn't even in the net for. So that was Lehner giving up seven yeah a so um i'm surprised but also it's playoff hockey anything can happen when it comes to the playoffs guys guys step up and cool caulfield yeah uh, i just i am surprised because i honestly thought and i still i still don't think that like, even though they're up right now i don't think that montreal has the ability to hang on to this series vegas is too good but the, again, they're proving me wrong. Um, proving everybody wrong. No one had Montreal beating Toronto. They were all going to be done in four or five games. Every single one of them, I think, except for a Montreal writer, had picked them to win that series. 
and it was on a list of like 12 to 15 experts. And then the same thing against the Jets. The Jets were going to steamroll them. Jets got sweeped. Um, it's still early in the series, three games in. Uh, but I don't think anybody had Montreal leading at any point. If you were a betting person and you you were putting money on the Montreal Canadiens, you probably won a lot and maybe look to start slowing it down so you don't lose it all. But, man, the, the team, it's a team that's just come together and everyone's playing their role and everyone is stepping up. It's, it's insane. The Canadians are getting that goal that in every game that they need. There, there's a point in every game where a team needs to score that goal. Montreal's doing it somehow. For a team that can't score goals, they sure do know how to score that goal. They got brutally lucky in the last game with a horrific blunder by Marc-Andre Fleury. Flashback like, to World Juniors. Oh, man. I I didn't actually see that game live, and I saw the the, uh, the highlights and after the fact, and I was just like, what is going on? Like, I watched, I'm going to say about 30 minutes worth of that game and Vegas was, was all over them. And I was shocked that it actually went into overtime in the first place. I'm like, I just don't know what, what's happening with this Montreal Vegas series reminds me of what happened in the Canucks versus Vegas series last year, where Vegas dominated the course of play, dominated the chances, dominated the shots, dominated the high danger, dominated possession, and couldn't score that goal. And I'm not saying that the, the Vegas Knights are getting Demko here by Carey Price. Carey Price is making the saves. Last year it was all Demko. It was all Markstrom. So, sorry. I'm going to call a spade a spade. It, Vegas dominated that series. But the same thing's happening in this series, yet they're losing it. And the thing that I've really noticed about Vegas in this series is there's a real lack of center ice depth. And they got great goaltending, great defense, great wingers, but that right down the middle of the ice, they're not as good as, as we thought they were. I think they're getting exposed a little bit by Montreal for it. Montreal plays a very up-tempo, crash and bang along the boards, aggressive, but structured game. And, and it's causing some fits for Vegas. And so I think Montreal's okay letting Vegas kind of control the puck, but they're going to control – the, the hard parts of the ice. Yeah. Now, before I get into my, my point here, I just wanted to, um, who was your goaltender on the all overrated team you put together? I, that was a long time ago. I don't actually remember. No, I could give you a refresher. Uh, our listeners don't care, Ken. <laughs> I think it was Carey Price that you had put, picked as the goaltender. And he's not playing that way right now. But my point with what I'm seeing from Montreal, and I kind of saw from that, you brought up Vancouver last year. Two teams that got dominated, but there's no quit. No, no. There's no quit. There's no, okay, yeah, we're out of this. We're, we're overmatched. We're like, there's no quit that I kind of saw in this series with Montreal and Vegas. And, you know, obviously as a Canucks fan, I saw it for seven games. It, it wasn't there. It was, regardless of the score, regardless of the, you know, the shots, whatever it was, they still continued to play. And when you don't have, like when a team can dominate like that, like Vegas is doing, and the other team isn't rolling over, I think that's deflating for them. Yeah, I, think I think that gets to them. Yeah, I, I think, think it gets to too. them. Right? Like this is a team that everyone has said is so good, is so good. Like 
they're perennial cup contenders in their four years. Um, but if the team that they're playing doesn't roll over for them, they lose. That makes it tougher for them. I'm with you on this series, though. I just I do not see a scenario where the Habs close this out. The thing that worries me, though, is we actually haven't seen Carey Price literally steal a game yet. Carey Price has played phenomenal, but Carey Price is good for stealing a game in this series, and that hasn't happened yet. If it does, then this series is minimum seven games. So could it happen? Uh, yes. I, much like the Canucks series last year, I got to believe the team that is controlling the play is inevitably going to win this series. So I think that's going to happen. Let's switch gears here and go to the Isles and the Lightning. The New York Islanders tied it up last night. I believe that series is now 2-2. That it is. I'm not going to lie. This series is boring the hell out of me. I cannot get into this series. Maybe it's because I'm so sick and tired of seeing Tampa Bay be this late that I just don't really care. Uh, the other night there was absolutely zero atmosphere in a building in Tampa Bay with 15,000-ish fans. It was like a regular season game. You know, far cry when it gets to the NASA Coliseum in New York, that building is electric. Thank God, or else this would be the series of libraries. But maybe it's just the two styles matched up against each other. Uh, this is not a, a spectacle or display that you want to put on for if you're trying to convert a non NHL fan to watch the NHL playoffs, don't let them watch the Islanders lightning series. The two very good teams playing very good structured hockey, but man, oh man, <laughs> up against each other. Oh boy. Well, this, this is why I, I can't believe Barry Trotz only got one third place vote. Like that's, that's Islanders writers, not even voting for them. Um, the team he has is not built. It's a polar opposite of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yes, they got Barzell, superstar. I wouldn't put Everly in that conversation. We'll call him a star. Um, but the team is just built to do the job, to do their job. That's what they do. And no, they're not the most exciting to watch. And yes, I watched a good portion of that game last night, and I actually thought it was a great game. Back and forth, uh, Islanders went up 3-0. Tampa came back and made it 3-2, and damn near scored the tying goal with no time on the clock. But if it wasn't for Pulak sliding through the crease, because Varlamov... Yeah, double pad stack by yeah. Pulak. He... Varlamov was in the face-off circle, like ready to go up to take a defensive draw. And Pulak comes through and stops that puck, doesn't cover it. He used his hands, but he never covered it to give a penalty shot. Or I don't even know if that would be an automatic goal. Be a penalty but, shot. Yeah. But he did everything he could to stop it. Like it was, and you're right, Nassau Coliseum makes all the difference. You know. I don't know. I can't remember the guy's name, but the Montreal Canadiens fan, when they were first allowed 2,500 fans. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. no, 2,500 fans are going to sound like 25,000. I tell you that, right? Like that guy, Nassau Coliseum was packed. Eight, I don't know how let's call it 20,000. Sounded like 50. Like that place is an old, old barn that's being replaced. But man, that energy that those fans bring make up for the style of hockey that the Islanders play. And I think that's what makes them so successful is that they don't care how 
high flying a team you are, you're going to play their style and they're going to beat you. That's why they were one of my other teams that were going to surprise people coming out of, out of their division. And just in general, they were going to do well. I am not surprised that they are in the, the semifinals, conference finals, whatever you want to call them. I'm not surprised they're here because they're that group is a team. It's not individuals. It's a team that all do their job very, very well. And I can say, I will say it. Islanders are taking this series. That's a bold statement. I think the, the Tampa Bay's got that championship pedigree. Two of the three games are in Tampa. I, I still think the Lightning are going to take this, but if the Islanders do win it, then I'm not going to be surprised. They're kind of the, the sum of their parts is greater than the whole when it comes to the New York Islanders. They like, they don't have that much high end talent, but when you put it all together and they're playing with their captain, Anders Lee, which is even more impressive when you put it all together, that that's a pretty dominant team that is just hard to play against. And in a building that's ridiculously hard to play against. I I'll say it right now, if you have a Vegas, New York Islander Stanley cup final, Man, the atmosphere in both of those buildings is just going to be off the charts. So I'm kind of hoping that that's how it ends up, just because from a fan that hasn't got to see you know fans in, in buildings for a while, I really, really, really want to see that. So I, my heart and my kind of fan awareness says I want Vegas, New York. I still think it's going to be Vegas, Tampa that come out of these two. I just, I, again, I don't see Montreal doing it, so... Well, that said, you know it's going to be it's going to be an old school matchup, Islanders versus Montreal. And in the, in the, I just don't, I don't see it happening either. But just because of what Montreal has done to all of everything we've said that they're not going to do, um, you know, we're going to get we're going to be wrong on this one most likely. So yeah, I mean, we could jinx it and say we, we're going to take Montreal in the final, but no, I, I I think the New York Islanders play a style where guys are buying in and doing what they need to do. Pajot is put on Kucherov to shut him down and they're doing the things like taking the body, frustrating them and making them play a completely different style that then they're used to. I think so. Yeah. I, I I'm, t- I'm just going to stick with the Islanders. I said they were going to do well at the beginning of the season. Yes. I picked the Islanders or sorry, the lightning to go to the Stanley cup, but I I'll, I'll make that change. Well, do you guys agree with us or disagree? Who's going to end up in the Stanley cup final? We'd love to hear from you. Or what's your take on who should have won the Jack Adams Award? Reach out to us on Twitter at the BleacherCon1. Ken is at the BleacherCon2. All right. Well, that's our show for this week. We're going to be coming at you again with another uh, Bleacher Connection Presents. Are you kidding me? Shortly. We had a lot of fun doing that. And uh, we're going to we're going to keep it going. Just kind of take some hot button takes on, uh, sorry, hot button topics and give our takes on them and, see how bad we get it right or wrong, whatever it is. We'll see. But uh, like I said, we'll try at some point in time to bring one of those uh, to you guys live so we can get your interaction. We'll let you know when we do that. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Thanks, everyone.